You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Hey, 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 chumps. This is Matt. Uh, Sunday night, I'm making this podcast, and then I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow, headed to Indianapolis so that we can do the BC Pod live. Yes, that's right. If you hadn't been paying attention, we're doing the podcast live in living rooms next week. That's Indianapolis, Nashville, Atlanta, and Charleston, South Carolina. These suckers are about sold out. They're going to be totally full. Uh, we're going to try and squeeze a few more tickets, although they're pretty much at capacity now. And for the, you waiting list people, I hope you guys get in. I'm not going to make the final call, but you might want to go ahead and buy a ticket or reserve your seat. I'm not sure. Anyway, we're thrilled that these rooms are going to be full, these living rooms, that is, and we're going to have a great time because that's the funny thing about doing this podcast is we don't get to meet and see people as often as we do doing music. So somebody asked me today what our fans are like of the podcast, and I said, I I don't know. I don't know what you're like. I've only met a few of you. So we're looking forward to being out on the road and, and, you know, seeing if you guys are a little bit more reasonable in person than you seem to be online sometimes. So if you want to come see us, www.badchristian.com forward slash Live. Let's have a party. Now, five myths about women, sex, and porn is a free webinar that Triple X Church and Bad Christian are bringing you together. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. you got to sign up right now. So follow the link in the description of this episode. This live webinar will air on January 29th, and it's completely free to watch. It'll be hosted by a female named Shelly Warren. Uh, you got to register right now. If you don't catch it live, it'll be emailed to you in its entirety, but you won't be able to find it, and you won't be on that list if you don't register now. So that's what we're asking everybody to do. Just go drop your email, tune in live, five myths about women, sex, and porn. It's going to be interesting, and it's going to be useful, and it's going to be helpful. Again, the link is in the description of this episode, or you can go to our Facebook and link right through. All right, let's get on with the clown show. Matt, you know what I'm about to do? Probably a weird beatbox. It's no good. Honestly, I'm going to throw up. My daughter's been very sick, and so my mouth is watering, and I have that vomit kind of taste in my mouth. I mean, I feel really miserable. Okay, well, you know what? (laughs) What, Joey? We ain't going out like that. What do you mean? We're going to still kick it. Three, two, one. Bad Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Bad Christians Podcast. Toby, you're sick. Let's go right into it. Let's get right into it. Uh, yeah, let's just so, get right into transparency. So Jess and I, uh, on Monday, joined a new gym. And uh, we, we, we went to the gym to sign all the paperwork and everything. And they had this awesome kids on. So we're standing there with our three kids. And it's a little bit crazy. But, you know, we're getting they're going to go in. We're going to go in and sign all the paperwork and do all that stuff. I look down and our littlest, who is one year and ten months old, is just vomiting everywhere. I mean, just uh. everywhere. So our first experience at the gym in the new year is our daughter just spewing. And nobody really helped us. It was a little bit frustrating. But anyway, so we cleaned it up and all, and then Would we did you help a stranger throwing up? Well, if you if you worked with if you worked with kids, <laughs> I'm saying the people that oh, work yeah. in the kids <laughs> I'm talking about them, not just a random person. Hey, let me help you clean up your vomit. No, not that. But uh so and then she just has been puking and then last night was just a living nightmare. I mean, she went to bed at what, eight or nine o'clock and just constantly every hour, just she'd get up, vomit a little bit, and cry. And it's just, we were up all night. Jess and I both now kind of feel a little strange. So I feel bad. I'm sitting in this really small room 
with Joey, and I'm scared that he's going to get it, but there's nothing I can do. I'm trying to stay away from him. But being sick and throwing up is just terrible. But one thing I did realize, what, what sucks is I'm a huge, big man with a big beard, and I can't get away at, at all with what June can get away with. She's a cute little adorable girl. You mean she doesn't she get just, tons of vomit in her beard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she can stand in the middle of public and just start vomiting and screaming, crying, and everybody feels bad. If I did that, somebody would call the cops. Imagine if I was just standing in the middle of a gym and I just started going, <laughs> if I did that, they would call the cops or the, the, I mean, emergency teams and everything would come in. But June, adorable little June, everybody's, oh, bless her heart. Oh, yeah. no. Let me pick her. I'll pick her up and even get vomit on me to make this little girl feel better. Do you think it's all mental? It's all mental because, I mean, you know, if a kid pees or poo-poo or throw up, I mean, it's not that bad to clean it up. Is that mental or do you think that their that the their actual uh, body fluids are less bad? No, I, I think they're just little kids. Everybody goes, they can't help it. But I'm saying, is it just your mental state that makes it easier to clean up after a two-year-old than it is for a tw the 40-year-old? She had, she was covered in vomit and it snuck our car up unreal. And, and, you know, you keep getting that whiff every once in a while. We took all our clothes off, put it in a plastic bag. It didn't help. Yeah, but I do, awful. I do agree with Matt, though. If you threw up all over yourself, it would be more disgusting to me than little June. Like, I mean, I would much rather clean William's butt than Virgil's butt. Virgil's your dad? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's probably going to be a time where you'll have to do both. Right. Don't Wouldn't you rather clean Ike's butt yeah, well, it, over your yeah, dad? Y'all realize what you're saying, though. You would easily, also, you feel bad for your wife, who's a female, and you, oh, she threw up, you'd feel bad, you'd help her, you'd clean her up pull back her hair, all that stuff. So the only people that get shit on is white... Uh, I was going to say white dudes. <laughs> white males. <laughs> Scratch that. The only people that get shit on are males. Yeah. They just get shit on. Nobody gives a shit if, you, if you're if you pissing and vomiting and shitting your pants. Nobody cares. Well, if you're... It's, it's a sliding scale for the female. The more attractive you are... The, the less that's basically it. the uglier you are as an individual the the worse people will assess your body fluids so a supermodel not that bad but if it's a woman that was very bad looking or homeless you know really haggard looking it would be worse right so like if it was rosie o'donnell everybody'd be booing her <laughs> <laughs> nasty boo boo rosie <laughs> are y'all sick how are y'all how's your family's doing we're green bay packer sick yeah my, uh, see if y'all heard of this. Chad Gardner uh, texted me uh, literally an hour ago and said, is your blood type B? And I said, I, I don't know why. I thought he was about to say I need a transfusion or some emergency or something like that. He said, well, because people that don't get sick often have blood type B. I'm trying to guess everybody I know is blood type based on their health. So he says that if your blood type is B, you don't get sick very much because he knows I don't get sick very often. So Y'all ever heard of that? Wow. You buy it? No. I don't. I don't know why that would matter. You know what I mean? Uh, you know how people like to say blood types everything. You know, blood type diet. This People just like fads and, you know, things to jump onto. Yeah, you're right. That blood type diet thing is pretty that huge. That is crazy. Like, I think you were telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I read about it. And yeah, you eat certain foods due to your blood type and it's supposed to help you. And, but that is the only reason stuff like that that I can't totally buy, buy into it is because nobody knew their blood type back in the day and you would just eat whatever you could get your hands on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you got your hands on a bunch of Twinkies, that's what you would eat. Yeah. In, in a sense, I'm just saying, like, if it was the end of the world, you wouldn't care about your blood type. Well, you I'm just... sure it makes sense. It's not totally out there. It's just maybe a little too simple. It's like, you know, biology is yeah. a lot more complicated than that. That's just a simple answer. Yeah, I actually read an article, though. You know, I've I been reading um, uh, a few, I've been s scanning and, and 
loosely reading a few different things on the internet and in some books about uh, about food being inflammatory. And there is a new study that says that depression is a cause of like an inflammatory thing happening in your brain. Like gluten causes depression. Right, right. They said that there's there's inf- if something happens like that, yeah, yeah, like gluten or wheat, you know, wheat belly, all that stuff, it causes it's inflammatory to your system, and so your body's trying to fight it, and one reaction to it they have found is depression. So Joey has both wheat belly and wheat belly induced depression. Well, I thought it would be interesting Shut up, if man. Joey watched what he ate. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I don't know if that's even a thing with depression. Do people with depression ever watch what they eat and see if like certain things, like you feel worse one day? Sugar is definitely supposed to cause more depression. So I have laid off sugar. Have you noticed a difference? Uh, man, I've just Not really. Yeah, I'm so up and down. I would really have to buckle down majorly and and watch how I'm doing and write everything. It'd just be too hard. To, Seems like it might be worth it if you could, you know, hone in on what would not trigger your depression. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting if you just like, for example, if you just wrote down what you ate in a week, and if there was like a certain day that man you were really depressed, then you could go, I'm gonna eat that same thing for a few days and just see. If I if get like, suicidal, if you're like it's the end or something like, I mean seriously, if that was the case. Wait a second, I've eaten a lot of dairy, and I feel like I'm going to kill myself. Let me just try dairy more. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me one thing you said in there is inflammation or inflammatory, and in general, I find that to be one of those words that's a red flag. Not always necessarily wrong, but it goes into the same thing uh, category with a lot of uh, you know things that are red flags to me, like uh, toxins are usually a general. Generalized, vague thing that don't mean anything. Inflammation in general is not very specific, and same. It's a lot of stuff that they'd say you probably could find literature on it at a chiropractor, which isn't total junk, but they're everything's pretty vague. If you've ever been to the chiropractor, so those things are always real suspect to me. I'm not big into anything that would use super general terms like that because it's more about to make you nervous or afraid and cause an action and offer you a solution that you would gravitate towards as opposed to actually explaining what the heck's going on. That's one of those things. So I always check the sources and, you know, if it's something, you know, I always try to find if somebody ultimately a link or two away is trying to sell you something when I read articles like that. So, Matt, well, you're, well, you're speaking of that, though, Matt and his his ideal ideologue of the world or how you live your life. My wife uh, totally disagreed with your science segment. That's fine. Uh, about the food. No problem. And it was really funny because uh, she was listening. She's like, man, it was a great podcast. She said, I disagree with Matt. He is no good. <laughs> and then and then what was really funny, too, is uh, it's been a couple weeks back now, but I think we were watching The Bachelor, and one of The Bachelors was, like, kind of drunk, and his skin was kind of puffy, and he was a little bit, like, translucent white skin. And Jess said, that looks like Matt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we both died laughing. <laughs> I tell you, I think your wife is just wonderful and beautiful and smart, and I love all the stuff that she ever says. It's always really on point, and she's wonderful. And I think you found a gem. Everybody knows you've never talked like that in your life and been serious. No, I'm serious. Have you ever have you ever talked like that for real? For serious, like seriously, have you ever said anything like that? Like, have you ever said something nice like that and meant it? Um, well, it, I feel about like somebody's I, friend or wife or anything like, man, you know what? I really appreciate them and think they are just a great person. You've never said anything like that in your well, life. Well, the, re- the reason I probably don't is I don't think that it sounds very sincere. Now, did it when I just said that, but that'd be an example. So I'm, I'm hesitant to say things that I don't think I can stand behind that don't sound like me talking. So, well, I'm not saying I don't appreciate people and think people are awesome, but 
if I say stuff that sounds like that canned language of somebody being nice, then I automatically feel like, uh-oh, this isn't going to sound believable coming out of my mouth. So I don't say it. That That's what I'm sense? saying. You could you can't say it because you could never believe it. I can't it. pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of us hate being sick too. I feel bad for her. She's sick with the kids right now. I had to come here. I'm no. I don't feel good. I'm doing this podcast. I'm working, but uh, you know she's at home with three kids, and two of them are healthy and just screaming and yelling and all that stuff, and the other one's just laying there like she's been <laughs> gonna pass away or something. So uh, I do feel bad for my wife. So when she hears this, it'll be you know next week. But I do feel bad for her. <laughs> Oh, I feel bad for your wife. Too. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, <laughs> Matt. How's the uh, how's the Packer fan doing in Seattle? Well, I hate to live in Seattle right now. I'd want to spit on everybody. Yeah, well, I know everybody wants to wanted us to talk about that. Unfortunately, it was we didn't have it on the episode to talk about. We could have got right into it, but people, I don't know if people think we record the episode uh, Sunday night at midnight as we post it or not. But yeah, obviously, last week's episode minus the intro was recorded before the epic Packer loss that we suffered. So it's interesting being in Seattle because everybody here is really excited and everything. And to tell you the truth, I have to be honest and say that the Seahawks are my second favorite team but it's a far drop off after the Packers so it was really really rough here but I was ha- I was happy for everybody else and I'm glad I am glad that Seahawks are in the Super Bowl obviously and I'll be pulling for them but the thing that was get this getting me that I can't solve in my brain and y'all help me figure this out is it one of the best victories of all time I don't think so but as far as losses I do think it's one of the worst losses of all times I think that is how this game should be looked at and remembered is not that the Seahawks did something unbelievable because they, all they did was have four good plays I mean it's, re- it's not like an ultimate comeback to me it is just an epic failure that's what should go down in the history books as as the biggest collapse you could have in three or three or four minutes. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but they did have to score those touchdowns. I mean, they scored touchdowns. Yeah, they had a few good plays, you know what I'm saying? But So it's not so much, much like they came back in the second half and overcame a huge deficit and rallied as a team and did unbelievable things over, you know, 19 minutes and, and had a 24-3 and three run. It wasn't like that. They had a few good plays in the last few minutes and the two overtime plays. So really, it's unbelievable. I think it should go down as like the worst loss of all time. That's what it should be known for. Here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing about football, which I just think is so crazy. People get in discussions about like who's the best quarterback. Like Toby, it was funny. Uh, our friend Andy that works with us, he's a big Seahawks fan. And Toby's just saying, yeah, I just don't know if I could pull for the Seahawks, even if it's against the Patriots. And he said, I don't want Russell Wilson to be known as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which I, I get what he's saying. But here's here's the thing is that's why it's so hard to validate those sorts of labels, because think about it. If uh, the onside kick was not successful, then we're not even having this discussion. Green Bay goes to the Super Bowl. Does that make Russell Wilson any less better of a quarterback? Of course not. He didn't go to the Super Bowl two years in a row, but that doesn't mean that he is not as good as he is now. So it's just like all those labels. I mean, yeah, I think championships are the most overrated way to rate a player. I think they're the most overvalued measurement. Now, there, there, there's something to be said that if you can't win at that level, like honestly, you have to knock Peyton Manning for playoff performance. That's a trend that you can measure over time. But in general, saying somebody has more than, than another champion is, is overvalued. I think literally, like I, they just didn't do anything. They didn't even come back out, Matt, like you said, in the third quarter and all of a sudden changed their game plan and they just started playing great and worked hard and did so good. It literally was 
the entire Packers organization collapsed from the top to the bottom. Every possible thing went wrong. Lately, I mean, the last few years, like I, I am passionate about sports and I and I love football and Packers are my favorite team by far. I really was spiritually just devastated after oh, yeah. that game. Like I, like I literally, I know this sounds hilarious. I, I got up, walked around, and I was just kind of looking around down at the ground. I was like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I seriously, like I just felt so bad and I just completely, I mean, every possible thing, there's no, I mean, we gave the game away. You know that there was a 99.9% chance in the fourth quarter we would win? 99.9%. There was only a what, 0.1% chance they could come back, yeah. and that actually happened. Yeah. Now, I was watching the game with a bunch of Seahawks people. We did a really cool thing at the church I've been going to. They just made church early. For like we started thirty minutes early and then just only had church for thirty minutes and then they put uh, then pizza and beer and put the game on the screen at when it came on instead of church and everybody stayed there and we watched the game so I left at halftime just so, just so our listeners knows Matt's uh, church is called Applebee's keep it's going. called Applebee's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I came home at halftime because I didn't want to be there for the, either a win or a loss around the opposing kind of crowd thing. But it was like everybody there was just depressed and like, yeah, it's over. Good, you know, have fun, man. We're, and people started like leaving and just being bummed out. And then even when I came home and watched the third quarter, I was like, yeah, I feel bad for these Seattle people. This has almost been a boring game. Like that's the way I felt the whole game. Like it was boring. And then all of a sudden when it got down to Mason, at that onside kick, uh, and then Mason kicking that long field goal, man. I, my heart rate was going so hard. It was so, so that was so exciting up until that point. I mean, at least it, I don't know, but what a it was loss. really frustrating to me because, like, it, you know what they did, and this is the first thing I thought of when that game ended. It's Clemsoning. You know, everybody says that, like Clemson, who is our other favorite team, they just fall apart and can't. They do so great, and then they just do a, a foolish thing. It's called Clemsoning, where you do a foolish thing and just lose the game for no reason. And that's exactly. I mean, I just, I think everybody was just devastated. I mean, I just can't. I really thought the bad sign for me was when there was like three minutes, 50 seconds, something like that, and they just let Eddie Lacy run it three times, and a couple of them for a loss. And I was like, wait, you're, you're, and I mean, in retrospect, it's easy to say this, and I'm glad and, and during the game, I'm like, well, I guess we got the points, but on the one yard line, two times, you yeah. got to go for at least one of them. Yeah. One of them. And yeah, then, but, but honestly, I mean, here's the thing is both of those scenarios, if you do it all over again and we end up losing by two points, you'd say, man, you should have kicked the field goal. Oh, yeah. Or here's right. the thing, running Eddie Lacy three times. What if what if Aaron Rodgers threw a ball, a wide receiver misread the route, it gets picked off. Why are you throwing it? Right. It's it, Then the game just drowned the clock out. Yeah, right. I mean, so you it's can just like, you can look everything. back and second guess everything. Yeah, it's Eddie Lacy makes a crazy collapse. I mean, it's just like, like, I guess you could say they did everything right because what wouldn't you do anything you could coaching wise to put you in a 99% chance of winning with three minutes left? I mean, this will be what here's what really sucks about this is this game will be talked about forever. I mean, seriously, I mean, it is like, I mean, you they still talk about the Bills coming back in that game. What it was like 34 oh, yeah. points they had to score, they were down 34 nothing or whatever, and they came back to win with a backup quarterback. And I mean, they're going to talk about this forever. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that many points, and it just this it's is really this is kind of I know, but they're going to talk as far as I'm talking about sports and stuff. We'll yeah. always talk about this will be a 30 for 30 sherman with one arm and but his, this was really funny I, I was actually like just laying there in bed after the game that night and i was just kind of talking to god a little bit about it and just like you know my own heart and maybe i'm just thinking too much and this thought actually came into my mind i actually thought did they win because like russell wilson is a christian and maybe the guys on the packers didn't 
care enough or aren't living their life right, and they smoke. <laughs> God smote the Packers, and because I mean, uh, Tyler from, that was from Columbus, um, yeah, yeah, from um, the Washington Redskins. He told yeah. us how like like Seahawks locker room is one of the, like the most Christian, you know, praying group football players that he's been around. Yeah, and I was just like, man, maybe they really went to the Lord and just like God, no matter what, you got to do this, you got to win this for us. And I mean, that two point conversion, I, I, that's I mean, that's like on the playground. Yeah, that something that you know I did on the playground where I hooted, hooted and hollered. I mean, how do you get a a, a two point conversion and an onside kick and all that? I mean, just it's just insane. Right. It's just insane. It's just uh, I mean, I, I'm not recovered. Do you know what you want to know? What's really crazy is it, it about it is with our history with Russell Wilson and talking about it. For some reason, that Russell Wilson post, not even the podcast, but the post that is on our blog about it, um, has over time been one of the number one uh, searches that people get to our site from. And so over, it wasn't a big post when we originally put it up, but now over time it's one of the largest ones because people are constantly Googling Russell Wilson and they find our blog because this, I guess, is optimized well for SEO or something. But uh, well, I think they're typing in Russell Wilson divorce. Yeah, Russell Wilson divorce, I think it comes right up. Literally at 3 o'clock on Sunday, there's thousands of hits on our blog on that post. So as soon as the Super Bowl was over, thousands of people Googled yeah, Russell Wilson divorce and then came straight to our website. <laughs> Isn't that, that weird? Is insane. Oh, my Because you're gosh. right. It's not just Russell Wilson. You have to type in Russell Wilson divorce for it to come up number two on Google. So for some reason, that's what I guess you think it's a bunch of like chicks out there seeing if he's divorced or what? I mean, who? why would you immediately Google Russell Wilson divorce after the game? It's a bunch of conservative <laughs> Christians who were like, saw him praying. Oh, after yeah, the, that's right. That's what it is. They saw him. I mean, I saw so many Facebook posts. Man, that's the way to win. Look at the Seattle. Yeah. Just kneeling and praying and to the Lord. And that, see, that's what bothers me. And I, I put this on Facebook and uh, just a couple hours ago. And Toby, it's funny because someone said, yeah, I know who posted that, Toby. <laughs> but, but I basically... <laughs> I basically posted, uh, does it, I mean, it, it's crazy the interest in this whole thing. There's already, let's see, I posted it an hour ago and there's 112 likes, 54 comments, but I basically just asked, what do you think about athletes saying, I feel so blessed. God is so good after a win. What about the other team? God isn't good to them. And that's, that's just, just the one thing that bothers me is, you know, oh, God is so great. He pulled us through the game. Like, I'm totally fine with saying, man, I just want to give glory to God. Sure, give glory to God in good times and bad times, but it just seemed like Russell Wilson was attributing the win. Well, I, I mean, I guess Toby thinks that that could be a possibility, and maybe it is, but I just don't know the I think he believes it. I, I think he believes it. I mean, after that win, you have to think of some kind of divine intervention. I mean, I, I think that. I literally think maybe God smote the Green Bay Packers. That, that makes you feel better. It, yeah, it, that, that actually <laughs> does. You're right. I mean, I actually think, okay, well, you can't be, you can't beat God at football, so I can handle that. So Packer fans feel better. God is sovereign. Yeah. We're Calvinists. Well, I'm, I think that I, that it doesn't make sense in a logical way that God's for the team or whoever is better morally will win. That's not clearly not the case overall. But uh, but I can respect it from Russell Wilson or any athlete's personal point of view, saying I feel this way, and they're just expressing I trust God. This happened. I mean, you would say the same if it was non-competitive, you would have no problem with it. You know what I mean? If you would just 
really put all you're all into something and it wasn't like if you weren't competing with somebody else and it was successful and you've been praying about it and you cared about it and you gave it to God and it turned out great you would feel this feel the same way and you would tell everybody and nobody would second guess it so the the fact that it's competitive is what throws you but let's say uh, I think his name's Brian Bostic uh tight end special teams who was supposed to block for Jordy Nelson but instead tried to get the onside kick didn't get it if he's a Christian, I would say this game may turn out to be a way bigger blessing to him. And the fact is, is he would much rather it not have come this way. But five years from now, he's going to look back on this thing and see, be like, oh my gosh, uh, the growth, because he's getting hate tweets. That to, uh, Joey, they have a theological term for that. That's called uh, I'm only a man syndrome. One thing I did check out, though, and this is because, you know, I just wanted to see how much God was involved in it. Out of all the teams in the NFL, Seattle Seahawks have the most X3 watches on their, <laughs> their computers. You can check that out? No, Joey, you can't. That was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to segue into talking about uh, X3 watch. That, that You got me, man. You actually you thought me. there was software to track that? No, well, not I actually watch, bro. I mean, you know, Triple X Church, I'm sure they can track. Yeah, Craig Gross is stuff like that. NFL. But I mean, I don't know if they would know specific. So a, gr- a great product is X3 watch, but an even greater product is X3 watch watch. Yeah, that you can watch who actually has X3 Watch. So if you don't know what we're talking about with X3 Watch, if you go to x3watch.com forward slash bad Christian, you can get the uh, premium subscription for half off. What it would do is you download the software to your computer. You type in a couple people's email addresses, and those two emails that represent real people well, those folks would receive emails every time you go to a sketchy website, something that is full-fledged porn or something that may be suggestive. So the cool thing is, it's just like built-in accountability. You can't really get away by your lonesome with your computer. And as Toby always says, it's either this or cut your penis off or, or sew up your... I, I don't know if we should say sew it up. Cement it. I was about to say, isn't that just like a horrible thing to say? <laughs> but cutting your yeah, penis just, off is pretty bad, too. Yeah, no, just take a pair of scissors to your eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt is uh, X3 Watch and all those guys happy with the response that they've gotten over the last seven or eight months. I mean, obviously, they have to be if they're continuing to want to get their name out on the podcast. Yeah, no, they say it's doing really well. A lot of you have signed up and that, like Joey said, there's a free version and the paid version that you get half off. So let me remind you of the URL one more time. It's x3watch.com forward slash bad Christian. And that's where you can sign up right now and get half off. But yes, uh, it's working out really good. We've enjoyed having this partnership with them. Uh, we thank them for being a sponsor. And yeah, thank you guys for participating with all our sponsors. And this one especially, they're really our official sponsor and one that we use and are totally behind. So hopefully that means something to you guys. Now, I guess as far as products go, I was thinking another thing. First of all, they need to come up with X3 Watch Watch software, and they could also come up with an X3 Watch Watch. So anytime you know you look at porn or anything, it's like it shows up on your watch. Something happens on, you know, like a wearable. I think like uh, when you look at porn, like one of your eyebrows kind of goes up like, hmm. So it, it, the camera on the watch would actually catch that. And then it would say, hey, I know you're looking at porn. Yeah, so, so yeah. Get it, they could start getting into wearables. Now, they've canceled Google Glass. Did y'all hear that? Uh-uh. They did? Yep. Suspended sales of it. Because people... Why? Because it's just too crazy? Yeah, because people can't get over the privacy thing, which I think is just insane. Because they're... I mean, they're saying people get mad like uh, because people are wearing Google Glass in a restaurant and everybody feels like they're being videotaped the whole time. 
Yeah, huh. that's kind of true. Yeah. I mean, for sure, if if it happens, which I think it's going to at some point anyway, you there it's not that it's, you're going to see something unbelievable like everybody's credit card information and blah 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 blah, blah but you'll just see like, oh my gosh, look at that guy's butt cracks hanging out, or yeah. you know, but it's but stuff it's like that inevitable that now. I mean, you can have technology. There's hidden cam. I mean, you th- that stuff's out there anyway. So it's weird that people are like reacting to it. In, in that form I guess it just feels weird knowing that creepy guy sitting by himself with clear glasses on is looking at you and you think is he streaming that to 20 million people you don't know right have yeah. you guys seen the movie Final Cut with Robin Williams I think it's been a while that is so crazy Matt basically this guy has the horrible job of going through a lifetime of editing to put together a special video at someone's funeral so basically it's it's the the rich elite that uh, at birth they put some sort of recording device in the eyes of a newborn baby. And so the whole lifetime of viewing material that the kid grows up seeing, everything they see is recorded. Oh, wow. So when this kid, this. yeah, so when, when the individual dies, uh, Robin Williams' job is to go through the years and years and years of footage and put together like a, a beautiful piece to show at the funeral. So he has to see some messed up stuff. I mean, so yeah, like just, some people kill or yeah, hurt people. Yeah, he has to see rape, all whatever. the yeah. horrible, horrible stuff, and I think he's not supposed to divulge into that. So basically, you know, obviously the movie um, zooms in on one um, yeah. person that he views, and it, it's it's creepy, man. Just go ahead and get the ending away. I don't remember it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you're such a movie guy. You've seen so many I, I'm movies. I'm pretty sure the end movies. is. How, uh, it, it, hey, I did see American Sniper. Really like we would, oh, Jess and I watched the movie Her. Have y'all seen that? No, but that's I the don't one know Jared was like talking it. about. I think yeah. you would really like. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared was talking about. I actually think you really would like it a really? lot. Yeah, it was just it's a it's really slow and strange, and it's just like a relationship. But it's 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 really neat how like it's kind of accepted but not accepted, and you know what I mean. Like it's uh you know it's a, basically falls in love with his operating system and so uh i i i highly recommend you guys watch i'd like you guys to watch it and then maybe we talk about it on the uh podcast cuz i i thought it was really interesting i really did i thought Jess and i both liked like first of all i think Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor yeah, he i is. mean i just i just really like him and then the set and and everything they did was really cool also what kind of leads me into that is the idea of okay could you fall in love like he was calling his operating system his girlfriend even you know what i mean um but just talking about that idea of who are you able to love and what are rights. So obviously right now people want gay rights for marriage, gay marriage to be legalized. Right. And I think honestly, all three of us are pretty much fine with that. Like it, it, I don't think stopping gay marriage is going to make anybody not gay or make them care about the Lord. And in fact, if they live in America and pay their taxes and do all that stuff, I'm, I'm open to what they want to do. But, um, I stumbled. I was on uh, Pathios dot com, and this uh, came out. It was actually on New York Times. I believe was it the New York. Um, I'll have to find it later. But uh, anyway, basically, a teenager announces this is in New York that she announces plans to marry her father. And I won't go into the whole story, but basically, when she was seventeen year old years old, her dad had been gone for twelve years. She hadn't seen him, had any contact. Yeah, he contacted her on Facebook, and they spent like two weeks together. And during that two weeks, she lost her virginity to him. Oh, and but said they knew. That, uh, she, I mean, it wasn't like mistaken. Yeah, yeah, no. They he met her. He 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 wanted her to come and and visit him because he's her dad. And so they spent two weeks together by themselves or something like that. And then uh, she just said she felt so comfortable with him. And now she, I think they waited till she was 18. Uh, so she was 18. It wasn't like underage. But the fact that he is her biological father and she is his daughter and they plan to be married. Now, they, they won't get a legal certificate. Some people were saying, um, where will that 
end? Why would they not be able to be married if, say, if, if a male and female can get married, a male and a male can get married, why couldn't a spouse, or, I mean, a, a a biological parent marry their biological child? So why isn't, it into, why isn't that just a, yet another issue of personal freedom and everybody stay out of it? Right, that's what they're saying. But the the pro, what everybody thinks about that, though, is that it's taboo and wrong and that a, that it would be a adult parent taking advantage of a younger uh, child. Yep. And the child doesn't know it doesn't see the and whole picture clearly and, and outside. She's 18 now. And was 17 at the time? When they started talking, I think. And then when she, I think when she turned 18, um, yeah. yeah, they met. Well, man. first of all, you're going to sound like a jerk trying to compare gay to incest, first of all. But I don't think that this is worth worrying about because it's not a prevalent thing. That There's not a giant number of this. This is isolated. And so people trying to lump that in say, well, you'd first is this and then it's that. It's a little crazy. Right. And I don't know. It's also if it was, it's terrible that this guy would be a father and then do something with his daughter. That's super messed up. But let's just say it was brother and sister who were 50 and there wasn't that dynamic of power, which is the really sick part about it, then you just have to put it in the category of, well, weird people can do whatever they want to. It still doesn't hurt you or hurt anybody, right? I think what especially the Christian right would say is that where does it end? Everybody, You'll be able to marry anybody you want. You'll be able to do anything. And, and what you're saying, Matt, and I think I agree, is that we don't have a fear of that because people are going to do whatever they're going to do anyway, right? So, I mean, a law will not stop a dad and a daughter or a mother and a son from sleeping together i mean that's not gonna be a a big frontier i don't think of a problem i really don't but in general you can project 50 years into the future and we will have eradicated tons of laws that infringe on people's personal freedom that's what marijuana use is legal marriages between this or that i mean if somebody wants to marry a tree in 50 years i mean it'll probably be legal i mean just it, it means what it means it's not gonna doesn't mean there's an imminent collapse of society it just they have that now i know this sounds crazy and really ignorant but is there <laughs> some potential for like deformity or anything like well yeah with incest it's like you you don't have much genetic diversity because your brother and sister share a lot of the same dna so both good and bad things they have in their dna will likely come up in their children that you don't get that can't gets canceled out when you have a different kind of mate so that'd be the argument that their you know kids could be messed up but you know other than that that's still what they want to do all right i well i guess i would say honestly i would i would wager that most of these times comes uh, that this happens where there's siblings sleeping with each other or a parent sleeping with a child. I would say there's obviously some form of problems within that family setting and Definitely. that the the child, even if they're of age, being 18, 19, 20, are probably unaware and there's an authority and a power and a, a trust that is abused to get them in the sexual position. Yes. You know what I mean? I like you don't need to have sex with your your child. <laughs> no. you, you know what I mean? Like that's not a oh man, I, I need to do that. Like if you if you love them, you can love a person without sex. I think always the parents parent child one will always be uh unethical in that power dynamic way. What about siblings though? Siblings, I still think is some strange form of something going on in the family dynamic that would make that a, 
allowed. And it would be, I still think it would be a power thing where one of the siblings goes, hey, let's try this or let's do this. And there's some safety. So you think, oh, it's okay. It's just my brother and my sister. So yeah, I can trust them or we're just playing. And it, it, I bet it usually starts with a simple game or something. And then it leads to something more deep. I still think there's some type of abuse of trust. So you would just say that in general, you would always find that those relationships to be disordered. Yes, I, I would think that there's some things going on with the parent or with, the, you know, I, I honestly believe probably the parents that would sleep with their kids had some probably form of, of course, yeah, sexual abuse, maybe, I, I don't, you know, I mean, that, that stuff. I mean, it, when sex is put upon you, then it ends up sometimes becoming your identity and then it's hard to escape that. And then like, you know, if your dad or mom loves you and they've always loved you and then sex becomes a part of that then that then you associate sex with love and what that means and then you need that to be loved and you know I'm not saying in every case I'm I'm being pretty general here but you can love somebody without sex. Thank you Toby. Once again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Hate Speech with Toby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's Monday today and we are we'll see I got a flight. Um I'm be getting on a flight about this time by the time you're hearing this podcast. So we're gearing up to do the Live shows, y'all ready for them? Yeah, Toby and I will be doing the same. And hey, wanted to just throw out there that our YouTube channel that you need to subscribe to, we'll be putting like a video journal on there just while we are traveling. For those of you that have zero else good to do with your time, watch us on the road and watch us record some of these live podcasts and we actually have all of our podcast episodes on there now which is really cool you don't have to subscribe to anything or go to our website and just go straight to youtube matt your post last week was really awesome and video is on there so it's his post last week was was uh, a video and toby and i will be doing a weekly update on youtube and oh, each, yeah. each weekly update we'll be giving you some information on a discounted item from our store so we're pretty psyched about this channel and hopefully you would go there and subscribe all so. right thank you joey so we'll be right back here we're going to take a quick break and we'll get Jason, uh, the drummer from the legendary old hardcore tooth and nail band Frotus, on here. And we'll see what we got to talk about. Welcome to the break. Uh, we don't have a sponsor for this break spot today, which is fine, which is nice. But we do take a break still before we get on with the guest and in there. So I'm, what I'm going to do here is say... Thank you guys so much whenever you do support our sponsors. And I, let me back up a little bit. Thank you for making this podcast what it is. It's 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 a dream come true. It's so wonderful to be able to communicate and have you guys listen. And the fact that we could even have sponsors and anybody's listening to me, totally amazing. Sorry, hope we don't get on your nerves when we do have sponsors because uh, that's that's our model for how we're going to pay the bills and do this. We want to do this more. I, w- I want to do this every day. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is if we continue to get more sponsors, and then we have to do less of our you know day job kind of stuff. The other piece of the puzzle is the BC Club. 
and you can join the BC Club. We've, that's going really, really well. We have a ton of people in there, and we need a bu- whole bunch more people to be in there because there's stuff we want to do. There's stuff that we need some resources for, like uh, d- to give stuff away. We love making free stuff. We spend tons of hours on this podcast, and we'd love to spend way more hours on this and other stuff that we can make, generate, give away. Uh, cultivate from other people and share. There's a ton to be done in this world. A ton. And we want to do it. We want to do it with other people. So if you feel like supporting us, great. If not, totally enjoy this. Go tell other people about it if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you're really wasting your time listening to me talk right now. Anyway, badchristian.com forward slash contribute. Please join the BC Club. You're invited. So, Jason, you're in Washington, D.C., or that area? I'm in Washington, D.C. No, no, I'm in D.C., half a block from Scott Andrews. Oh, that's cool. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Scott lives literally across the... He lives on uh, the corner around the street from my house. Joey, Scott Andrews is our manager, Scott. Do you know him, our old manager? I probably met him, but I don't remember. So, Scott was our manager. uh, He was a tour manager. We met Scott when he was tour managing Hawthorne Heights, and then he started tour managing us a little bit. Then he did such a good job, and then we got with the times and decided we didn't want to pay these big-time managers all this money. So, we fired our managers and asked our tour manager, Scott, if he would be a... uh, he wanted to be an actual manager and just do all our stuff, and we would like co-manage our band with him. And so that's how he got into the office music business. And then he got on with Mike Fight and those people at Outer Loop um, because we were his clients. So we had a big fish client, he, they said. So they brought him over there to Outer Loop, and then he decided he didn't really like managing that much. And now the son of a gun's just an accountant for for the yeah. for <laughs> yeah, Outer <exactly>. Loop management, <laughs> and yeah, way <exactly>. happier. <laughs> God, managing bands is crazy. I used to manage bands a long time ago, and I quit when I was very ahead and just was so over it. Yeah, it's just too much. I mean, I, I even, I, I mean, I might be tooting our horn a little bit. I even think that we're not that demanding, but we bands see things a certain way, and then the manager just has to do them that way, even if they don't maybe totally agree with it or just whatever. And so it, it, I could never manage a band. It would just be too much just answering to that and what it would be. There's a good amount of management that's just fluff. That's not even real. Like it's pretend job and just like a game to take artist money, right? In that part of it? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I'm saying at the same time, you still have to answer to people. Like it, even the fluff stuff, you still have to answer to a band. And, and a lot right. of times they just are wanting stuff that you're just like, oh, gosh, how do I get this? Or That's how really do I do it? Right? No tour is ever good enough or <laughs> all that stuff. So Well, it's like, it's like no tour is ever good enough. But beyond that, especially coming from hardcore, it's different if you're like a pop group or you're some singer-songwriter, but if you're a bunch of dudes that grew up going to shows, you guys, and especially that point when Scott was doing Hawthorne Heights, that is the transition where, you know, every band that I've ever been in, that wasn't even an option. There was no option for Frodis or Battery or any of the metal bands. There was a turn in, like, 2001 and 2002. Was it a thing probably even in the days that you were starting and in hardcore in the 2000s, early to late 90s, where managers and the business side was seen as, like, a real negative? Like, you wouldn't have that. It wasn't a negative. It was it was starting to become a necessity. And, and, and I don't think it necessarily came out of the ethics of the scene but out of is a band active enough to need it so you were when did frodus begin 1993 93 oh my gosh yeah so, so you guys were like you were in were you entrenched in that dc like fugazi stuff i mean was that like where where you guys were were a part of that scene 
Well, I mean, I was 16. I mean, I'm 38 now. You know, like yeah. I, I grew up in Florida and then moved to D.C., ended up starting Frodis when I was in 11th grade. That's crazy. Was was Nate Burke in at that time? When was Nate in Frodis? We actually met Nate in 1994. And then Nate joined when we started doing all the stuff with Refused in the fall of 1997 is when Nate joined. Uh, so yeah, I want to talk about that Refused stuff too, but I know Nate Burke. He was the executive pastor at Mars Hill in here in Seattle where I was at my campus. So I've known him for a good, good Wait, while. Nate was an executive pastor? <laughs> you must not what? keep in touch with him too well, I guess. What? Well, no, <laughs> no, no. the next question. How long you guys go back? No, there was, there's been a long, there was, there was a long period of radio silence between all the members, most of the members in Frodus until last year. Yeah, Nate was, he was, a uh, he was, uh, at Mars Hill for a while. And I, I mean, I've been there for like 10 years. He's been there at least that long, um, or had been up at that time. And at one point he was, yeah, he was an executive pastor at the campus that I was at. I knew he was going to Mars Hill and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought he was, uh, what's his face's assistant. Wasn't Nate his assistant yeah, he for was. a long time? That was, he was, he was real close to Mark, I think, and uh, traveled with him in the early years and was like his day-to-day assistant. Yeah. Nate's yeah. the guy that's all tatted up, kind of muscular. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, which is hilarious, by the way. Nate Muscular is crazy. <laughs> really? Why was he a little nothing back in the day or something? No, it wasn't like he was a little nothing guy, but I just, like, through a crazy turn of events, Nate and I saw each other in person for the first time in a decade at a coffee <laughs> shop in LA. And I was like, dude, you look like just a war hero. It was crazy. <laughs> no, he, looks, he looks great, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, Nate's always looked great. Everyone always like, what's up with you getting Brad Pitt on base? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> that's awesome. I was like, dude, Brad Pitt's awesome. But Jason, you listened to our Brandon uh, Ebel episode, you said, right? Yeah. Like, I was so pumped. Like, Brandon dropped, like, Frodus as a scene band he put out. <laughs> so Joey's our resident, like, tooth and nail nerd from back in the day. So, Joey, can you insert some background on who Frodus is to you? Well, first, I got to know, what was that song they have on No New Kind of Story? It's right at the beginning, and it's a Frodus song. It is really, really cool. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, have you seen? I have not seen it. Okay. Yeah, you have um, to check it out because one, I mean... Right when the documentary starts, they've got some kick-ass music in the back, and I was like, I'm not familiar with that song, so I don't know what album it came off of, but I did a little research, or maybe the credits at the end, it's definitely it was. If it was on Tooth & Nail, it was either Conglomerate International or... I know what song you're talking. I think it may be a song called Invisible Timelines. Yeah, so I think when Conglomerate came out, that's when I first heard of uh, Frodus. And then we were big roadside fans. And so that split came out and further familiarized ourselves with right Frodus. but what are some of the tooth and nail bands you guys uh, hung out with on tour and got to know well the guys we got to know the absolute best were definitely 90 pound wuss and um roadside monument roadside monument the best so jonathan ford and i forever ago we traded demo tapes in 1993 even yeah. like i sent him the very first frodus demo tape and he sent me the mr fist mr bishop's fist demo tape and then we'd been kind of friends ever since and then roadside was coming to the east coast and uh they hit me up about helping them get some shows and so we did a handful of shows together and then we're like hey let's do a split seven inch and then that's uh they were like oh we can put it out on tooth and nail and back then I was like, dude, I don't know about that. 
Yeah. I tell you what, that makes me think the whole world, like people always say, oh, it's a small world. But I mean, everybody you're naming are people that it's so weird because Joey knew them in South Carolina as a little kid. You were out touring from the East Coast. And then all the people you've named so far are just people that I see and know. Like uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff from 90 yeah. Pound Wuss, I saw him and watched the football game with him at another church yesterday or a couple of days ago. I watched that with Jeff uh, Becker and, you know, the Roadside Monument. I know two drummers from that band that also that that are connected to me up here in Seattle. Joel Metzger was the drummer for a while and Matt Johnson as well, who was at Mars Hill Church as well. So it's crazy because it's just I know all those people as adult individuals. Joey knew them as band like these bands when he was a little kid. And to you, they were just your peers in the 90s. So it's interesting. Like I know everyone through I mean, we, we may not have to get into it in this this thing but like the whole demise of mars hill just seeing like jeff post these crazy rants on facebook and i was like dude what is going on over there yeah jeff's been one of the more vocal people about it and i think it's because he likes that type of communication or maybe he's good at it uh i also think he feels like it's necessary to tell the truth and get information out there but he's been yeah one of the more vocal people that's put stuff out on, on blogs and stuff like that jeff's wife Teresa, she was frodus's a and our girl at Tooth and Nail. Yeah. That's crazy. I always saw her, him and their kids and had pizza and watched the Seahawks game a little bit this week. So so, so you said you were a little bit uh, wary of signing with Tooth and Nail. Did, what do you think? Did it work out? Are you glad you, got, you guys did or what? Dude, I, it, this, was, this is why I, Mike Fight sent me that interview that you guys did with Brandon is a long time ago, like there's so much stuff we could talk about. Like I got asked to run Solid State at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, like there's like... This is during the whole refused Frodus touring era and all kinds of stuff. But Tooth and Nail was the best record label experience I've ever had. Hands down. Yeah. I've been on a been on a lot of different record labels, done a lot of stuff, but the support that Brandon gave us was incre- yeah. was incredible. Like yeah. and 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 it's not like Frodus was some sort of commercial entity, you know. Like it's right. not like we're like because that was the era of MXPX and the Supertones. Yeah. yeah, we were not going to do that. We were never going to do that. We were never going to do anything. And so we ended up leaving the label because they like this is in 1999. They just started signing all kinds of wild bands, like the Christian swing band. Yeah, and I was like, look, man, like. We're not a Christian band, and I don't know if it makes sense for Frodus to be in the same ads as like some swing dance band that's yeah. they got Bible verses and stuff in it. Like I'm yeah. Christian, <laughs> yeah, but musically and aesthetically, I wasn't sure if it was making any sense. Yeah, and how did the how did the like tooth and nail fan base treat you guys? Did they come out to shows? Did you guys tour churches? What how was what no. was touring like back then? No, like we didn't tour churches at all. Yeah. Um, we did it twice, and to be honest, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, we played with Zayo. Uh, this is when Brett was still in the band. Yeah. Before, was it May? What's his band? Juliana Theory. Yeah, yeah before yeah. Juliana Theory. And we played with Zayo in Pennsylvania somewhere. Oh, wow. And some kid, like, I, like we just finished playing. I'm breaking down the drums, and this kid's like, "Hey, man, do you want to come over and pray with me for a second? I was like, "I was like, man, to be honest, no. I gotta, you know, I gotta pack my stuff up." And he's like, "I'll pray for you then." I was like, "Yeah, what? Don't judge." <laughs> it's like, dude, I gotta put my stuff off stage. And then there's some kid. I will never forget this. There's some kid 
jumping up and down with a shirt that said pray for Frodus on it, just screaming. <laughs> it said pray for Frodus on his shirt. And this kid looked, he was like 14, and he's jumping up and down screaming, Jesus, I love you. I was like, weird. You're going to say it? No, that's the thing. <laughs> Between bands, dude. I was like, what the heck is going on? People were like that, man. Like back then, like this is this is January of 1998. It was just kind of weird. Like it was, you know, the bigger bands, Zayo and Training for Utopia. Yeah. You know, like we played with Training for Utopia once or twice. And those were totally normal, regular shows. It was actually pretty awesome. It was Sam I Am, Training for Utopia, and Frodus in Oh wow. That's pretty cool. California. Playing with Roadside Monument. Like I always felt like Tooth and Nail had like clip fans. Like yeah. people would show up for Roadside and then bail for Frodus. And I was like, where are these people from? And everyone lived in DC. They were all from around here, but they would not stay for us. It was super weird. I agree with you. I think that, that we've we've experienced that too. There'd be times where we'd play with certain bands and either people would leave or even the fans that came to see us would leave. And then it makes us look like douchebags because like hey, oh, you come out on tour with yeah. Emory, but then oh yeah, our fans don't give a shit about you or something. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. really frustrating. But <laughs> or worse than I that, am, they take a stand against the band that you're on tour with. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, has that happened to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. Yeah. Dude, sure. That is horrible. Yeah, especially if we toured with non-tooth and nail bands or something like that. You know, like that's that yeah, they've gotten pretty upset with some of the people. Um, yeah, you but, said you guys have actually experienced your fans who are Christian go up to merch tables of dudes that you've been traveling on the road for a month that you really like and are good friends, and they just say, "Are you a Christian?" and They'll say no, and they'll just turn around and walk away. Yeah, see, exactly. like where he said, "Hey, man, I I really liked your band. You guys Christians?" Like at the merch table, and the guy goes, "The merch guy goes no," and then they turn and walk away and go buy our t shirt. <laughs> right. So we get the money because we're Christians, but we you know we we might have did the worst things in the world that night. So I was just You're just it, clearly spreading the love and <laughs> yeah 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 totally. following the gospel. Yeah, to it's the like team. they were gonna buy and they were already interested. And you guys are awesome. I just have this one final item before I give you my money and like your music. Do you? Do you you know where you're going when you die. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is one of my, like, the classic, classic mid-90s, early-90s evangelist tool. So I was in a straight-edge band called Battery from DC2, right? Yeah. And the bass player was the original bass player for the band Shelter that came after Youth of Today when they were all Harry Krishna and stuff. So this guy, Graham, was going to summer camp. And this kind of, uh, it, it, he was like this uh, older camp counselor. It was like this girl who was probably like 20 or something. He's sitting by himself on the bus. She comes and sits down to him. And she was like, hey, uh, you look kind of lonely. And he's like, well, you know, I just got here and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, can I tell you about a friend of mine? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he was like, okay. She was like, I have a friend of mine. You don't have to be lonely anymore. It was just like, like every possible thing. I would have asked, is she hot? Right, right, right. Does he she, got weed? Does he got weed? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I actually, I am really jealous of all these bands you're listening to. That you got, I mean, like, I, I love Sam I. S. To me, that's like one of the bands that was like almost like should have been one of the big, big bands in the world. But then also that you got to actually tour and, and knew the people from Refuse. That was a, a big influence yeah. on our band for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, just tell us a little bit about the experience of touring with them. And I guess uh, you guys uh, went to Sweden and everything and toured over there with them or what, or bands like them? Yeah, I mean, so so when Frodus came over 
in uh, to Europe for the first time in 1997, we played one or two shows with Refused in Sweden. And we just became really good for, like, we just hit it off. You know, you know, it's like you, every once in a while, you'll play a show with a band, and then you guys just hang. Yeah. That's what happened with Frodison Refused. And as they were finishing up The Shape of Punk to Come, we were just starting to record Conglomerate International. We had just got on Tooth and Nail. And so I threw the idea out. It's like, why don't we do a ton of tours together yeah and we all kind of agreed on it and so the original idea was we do scandinavia with them so dude frodas played 28 shows in scandinavia <laughs> with refused <laughs> golly dude now, were, like, were, they, were they that big then they are yeah, they, yeah wow. totally oh really well i mean you have to understand refused was always a big band in in europe so oh, you, you guys were that. like oh, yeah y'all were on tour and they broke up Correct. And and what I heard was that, that y'all were doing a bunch of house shows and they weren't even that big of shows here kind of thing. Basically. Well, dude, yeah. So I'll 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 address that cuz I've never actually officially addressed that especially since they've did their crazy reunion and, you know, exploded. Yeah. Um so on that tour when we were originally planning it, I was like, "Look, you guys are crazy tired. There's two ways we can approach this tour." We can either, A, go big production, or we can make it punk DIY and basically have like a punk rock-fueled vacation. And we all agreed that, hey, well, let's just do it punk. And so at the time, Amanda Mackay, uh, she was Frodus's booking agent. So we had Amanda book it. And it was not house shows. Like, it's funny the way that they remember it, especially seeing them talk about it on stage. Yeah. On their reunions. Like, we played in D.C. at the Black Cat to about 450 people. The, the, it, it seems small to them because they're so much bigger in Europe. No, it seems small to them because it's been 16 years. Okay, I see. Like, hindsight's totally different. Yeah. And when you broke up in your head... Before you even come, like they basically, when we were touring with them in Sweden, they fist fought on stage. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, dude. The the guitarist, the guitarist that they just kicked out, that was all over the internet, John. Yeah. Like he and Dennis got into a fight one night on stage. This is in like 1998. Like back then, there was a problem. Like there was one night we were playing some. I don't remember the name of the village, but it was the same place where the guitarist for the death metal band hypocrisy was and um they were playing we want our airwaves back yeah you know and the guitarist just got over it and threw his guitar to shelby uh, the guitarist for frodis and then just left <laughs> we were like okay shelby's gonna be and refused all this one and this was like at a community center to about 80 people oh gosh <laughs> you know that's that's crazy. The the thing about Refused is they're like the biggest influence on like the whole scene that we come from or, or one they have yeah. to be one of the biggest. I mean, I can show you Emory songs that are lifted right from there. I can show you uh songs by the Bled that are right from there. There's Paramore stuff that's you can just listen to it and go, That's that's the Refused. Of course. Part. And um it it's just it's weird but in fact I think that's where we 
one of our main models, that and Zayo for screaming. That's how Toby and Josh and yeah. I learned to scream. Yeah. We were just doing, listening to the refuse, saying, man, I want to scream like that. And it was, I mean, it's crazy. It's just like that video, the first time we saw it and heard that kind of music, it's the foundation for a ton. I mean, I don't know if everybody is aware of it that, that are fans of our music, but that's uh, the shape of the shape of punk to come yeah. is big time. I well, mean. I mean, <laughs> I mean the the that record is an amazing record. Like to this day, I still listen to it all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think for us it was just that unique. Um, I mean, to be honest, like Joey really did get us into. I didn't even know Tooth and Nail exists. I only knew that like radio rock, and that was it. Like the the craziest bands I'd ever heard were. Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Weezer, whatever, you know, Metallica. So I didn't even know music existed. So that's why it's interesting. And that, that's why I think it's interesting, too, to hear your side. Like, like my friends, I, I, my first college I went to was a Baptist college. And, yeah, dog. And, yeah, I know. And they showed me, they gave me an MXPX tape. Uh, what, what, what was their first? Poking at you. Poking at you, yeah. And so they said, man, you're, you like cool music, man, so you should, you'll like this. And I didn't like it. I actually thought it was, I just didn't care about it at all. And then eventually, slowly going the way of the Buffalo, I love that record. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and it's just interesting. Like, and then when Joey showed me stuff, I, I mean, honestly, I remember Joey showing me Frodus and Roadside Monument, and I just couldn't even understand that it could exist. Like, I know that sounds crazy to you probably cause you guys, but you were, you were in that scene and you were, you were touring with other bands that, you know, you guys were really doing stuff the stuff well, I grew I, up with was Hootie and the Blowfish. You know what <laughs> I mean? Seriously. So like, I, I mean the stuff, any kind of screaming or any kind of even different rhythm or chords was absurd and dumb yeah, to yeah. people. So I'm really jealous that you, you, you guys got to experience all that in, at firsthand. That's really neat to me. Yeah. But I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. But like, uh, like I could say the same thing about some. Like, there's uh, someone's always going to be younger and into. There's always like some dude that's like, "How did you hear about this stuff when you were nine? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Like, um, I mean, I fully appreciate what you're saying, but it's definitely weird. It's de- like I always think about, like, you know, the band Rye Coalition. Yes, I've heard them. Yeah, like those guys are about we, you know, they were associate whatever you say. We played shows with them too. Like we're all yeah. around the same age. But those guys started when they were really young too. I mean, Brian McTurn. Did you guys ever record with Brian McTurnan? Um no. no, but I know he is. I I like his recordings. I think he's good. Yeah. yeah. Did, so he Brian was the, was a, did Thrice and Monine and a bunch of stuff like that. Brian right? was a singer for Battery. Oh, the okay. band I was in. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Brian started Battery when he was thirteen. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. You know? So well, that's what I'm saying. Do you think it was a part of the scene? Because, I mean, like, like we tried to start bands when we were in high school, but, I mean, they were just the jokiest, worst <laughs> bands in well, the history think, of the world. I mean, yeah. you, 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 got, you joined a band with a guy that started when he's 13, and I mean, you said you started uh, when you were in high school, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's, that, I mean, how did you even know to do that? Yeah, but like, you know cool some stuff. of them started off really good. I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like, yeah. you, the, the first Poor Lou album that they released on a – Christian label called Mind Size. I mean, I think Jesse Sprinkle was 13, and the album is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, the drumming is one of the best parts. That's so. what I'm saying. I, I mean, there were unbelievable musicians in South Carolina. Yeah. But not, I'm not even talking about us. I mean, there are people I know in high school that I was like, holy cow, the way yeah. they play the guitar is so neat. But there's no reference of what you could do. It was only country, uh, rock radio, and, uh, you know, maybe right. some rap, gangster rap. Well, I mean, there's partially that. I mean, I got into it. In Florida, like I, I moved to DC when I was in tenth grade, right? 
Okay. Um, like just growing up in a beach town in Florida um, and going to the used record store to buy thrash tapes yeah. is, you know, like I was super into like Sepultura and Creator and all these Metallica, you know, all these metal bands. And I discovered hardcore through that used record store. Like the guy introduced me to seven inch records. And, and so I kind of, I got exposed that way when I was little, just cause I didn't have enough money to buy a tape. Like I was like, Oh, if you don't have five bucks for three dollars, you can buy this seven inch. And I was like, yeah. "What are you talking about?" <laughs> well, I mean, but, but at that time, without the internet, it was just like, "Do you have an older brother? Do you know somebody? Is your city got a lot kind of going on?" Yeah. Like when we were in high school, there was no bands. There was zero. There wasn't even one band. Nobody that played music. Nothing. I mean, maybe somebody played a guitar, but no bands. But now, if you go back to those places, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's twenty five. I'm sure there's twenty five, thirty bands at every school screamo hardcore everything stuff i've never heard of (laughs) did your dad have a hard time with uh the music being a southern baptist uh minister or did he embrace frodis and everything you're doing well it's funny like growing up the son of a baptist minister obviously i come under scrutiny with a lot of people you know um to my parents credit they never really screened my music very much yeah there was a point when I was in like sixth grade and listening to the Misfits where my mom just got irate at some of the Misfits <laughs> song titles. Well, they yeah. have one that's, uh, I ain't no GD son of a bitch, that lyric. Dude, no, uh, it's off of Legacy of Brutality, ain't <laughs> the angel F-bomb. <laughs> I remember doing Walk Again and it was, you know, it's like the cassette tape Legacy of Brutality on the table. My mom's like, what's this trash? And I was like, it's the Misfits. You don't understand that. You don't understand. <laughs> and she was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. She was like, angel fuck? I don't think so. <laughs> and I was just, dude, I was terrified. Like, I don't cuss to this day. It felt weird even saying that out loud right now. But hearing my mother say that to me. Your mom said angel fuck? Yeah. Holding <laughs> holding the Misfits tape, scorning me. And I was just like, uh. What, so what are you doing now? You said you don't like to manage bands, so that's not what you're doing. You're... I still play music. I play in a band called Regents, which is with some older hardcore dudes. I'm doing a metal band called Zealot. Being Christian, I think you'll appreciate this. I recorded the world's oldest Christian music in Syria Whoa. for the first time. And I, I was reading about that. That's crazy. So you actually went to Syria? Well, I mean, what? how did you even do this? Well, I mean, the, it's the oldest Christian music in the world. What is that, like Keith Green? <laughs> it's Sandy Patty raining on the inside. <laughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman is definitely no. It's um, it's an Aramaic dude. It's from one ninety. One ninety. Wow. Yeah. It's the it's literally the sound of the early church. The see the it's 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 um, so after Frodus broke up, we reformed with the bass player from Fugazi, right? And we couldn't call ourselves Frodus because Joe Lolly from Fugazi was in the band. It's like, we can't be the same entity. Yeah. So we called ourselves the Black Sea and then had a legal issue, and that turned into Decahedron. Joe ended up moving, and then Jonathan Ford from Roadside Monument ended up joining the band. So that was what Decahedron was. That was the huh. band that, that came after Frodus. So basically... 
decahedron dissolved and uh, I was sitting with a friend of mine who's also a drummer and another friend that's a keyboard player. And we were like, dude, let's try to come up something musically that kind of expresses our interest as musicians, but it's not a 930 club. It's not the Black Cat, something that's new. So the concept was let's start an orchestra of rock musicians and write music to something that's never had music written to it, which would be some sort of chant of some sort. Yeah. And so through a crazy series of events, I ended up stumbling into this hole in history where the world's oldest Christian music is practiced in one church in the city of Aleppo, Syria, which is one of the mm-hmm. oldest continuously inhabited cities on earth. And it had never been recorded. I jumped through all kinds of hoops. I you know, ended up being on the phone with the Archbishop of the Syrian Orthodox Church. I wanted to do a recording. I, w- I was trying to get a recording from him. I was like, hey, these are the bands I was in. I'd really love to do this. You know, Let me know. And he's like, well, unfortunately, I don't have a CD of the music that you're looking for. I've got something similar. It's like, well, how do I get the music that I'm looking for? It's like, well, we don't have a recording. And so I volunteered. I was like, meaning we, as in you don't have one in your office, or humanity does not have a recording of this stuff? <laughs> He's like, well, we just don't have any recording of it. I was like, do you want me to make one for you? He was like, if you know how. I was like, yeah. And so that's, and this was 10 years ago. And so uh, I went and met with him. We kind of formulated the entire project. I started going to Syria and it just kept evolving and evolving. And what's that music even sound like? It sounds like Islam. It sounds like Islamic call to prayer. Okay. Yeah. So, what so, does that sound like? <laughs> uh, anytime in a movie you hear music that sounds like it's coming from the Middle East, you know, like like Middle Eastern music has a different scale, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That scale actually originates from the Gnostics and from the early church. It was going to Syria scary? I mean, that's not like a safe place, is it? I mean, I always I mean, hear about like na- bad stuff happening over there. Yeah, now it's not safe. Back then, it was totally fine. I mean, wow. and, and I would go as an official guest of the Orthodox Church, and as all my projects developed, I became more of more official capacity. Yeah. So what I'm doing now, since the place has torn itself apart, I'm kind of the last man standing. I've had a book in the works, like a photo coffee table book in production forever on the city of Aleppo, and then the war started, and then the city got destroyed. Oh, wow. So I've been waiting to finish the book, waiting for the war to stop, but it's just it's just not going to for anything foreseeable future. So, so what so in the, did, did you take pictures of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I went to Syria multiple times between 2006 and 10, numerous times. Yeah. Um, I started working for a museum in New York as their photographer and explorer. Like all kinds of crazy stuff happened with being uh, given that access into the yeah. country. Because it's, I mean, this is before everything went bad, but it was a dictatorship, you know? So like being kind of a trusted individual that was given the freedom. I had to meet with a Syrian ambassador pretty frequently and go over all these ideas. Basically this huge archive of information that I've got, I've got the one album with the Smithsonian coming out. And then I started my own record label last year and I'm starting to release albums 
one a year for Record Store Day of these really rare religious minority recordings. So last year, I did an album of Sufi Islamic chanting. I had no idea if anyone would care. I had no idea what it would do. And the thing went to number 13 on Billboard. Wow, yeah, that I mean, is awesome. For world music, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, was, it was number yeah. one on iTunes. It was number one on Amazon. So, I mean, it was crazy. So that was last year. And then this year, I've got Armenian chanting from Aleppo. And so what's wild is, you know, so the kind of the history of the early churches, you've got people meeting in the caves in Antioch, right? Yeah. To put it all in perspective... Antioch is an hour and a half away from Aleppo. Then you've got the ancient city of Edessa. That's the first city where people start calling themselves Christian as an open community. That's the city that these chants come from. Then the country of Armenia, tradition holds, is the first government to fully embrace Christianity in like the second or third century. And then Rome kicks in everyone becomes catholic yeah so people always talk about it's real popular now for people to talk about the early church and the early church was like this or it wasn't and i don't know if anybody really knows what it was like but maybe you have some insight i mean did what were they doing having bible studies on tuesday in people's houses or were they singing songs i mean what was going on yeah i mean like so the thing that's really interesting growing up baptist like all of our church traditions like not necessarily how we do it, but the structure of the church service, it's the same as the early church. It's just like kind of hybrid, but the way that you sing songs on the way in, there's a Bible reading, people stand, people sit, like all of that, it's the same type of structure, just customized to where people were living over the last 2,000 years. That's what I always find really interesting. I mean, the buildings of the Syrian Orthodox Church, they have a, a monastery from 320, and I think the New Testament was voted on in, uh, what, 340? Yeah, something like that. Like, these guys were part of the the voting process of the New Testament. So a lot of the traditions are kind of nebulous up until 6-700 A.D., like everything kind of starts canonizing and everyone starts believing. And yeah, when everyone refers to the early church, the album I'm releasing is the soundtrack of the early church. So, Jason, were you ever able to put the band behind it? Well, I mean, it took me this long to get it. So, um, I mean, that's one of the things I'm going to start trying to work on uh, in the next year or so is getting the whole orchestra thing together. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard because everyone's busy. Like, it was originally supposed to be uh, me, Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan, and Kurt Ballou from Converge. It's going to be like 15, 20 people. Now that I actually have all these recordings, the albums will be coming out. And then, I mean, I play drums, so I can't write the stuff. I have a bunch of ideas. I just need to figure out how to flush them out. If anything's the hardest thing in the world is to get people to get together and do some music when it happens it's amazing but it's hard to get people together just to jam and everybody you're right everybody's busy and everybody's busy not only just regular life and stuff but with their own music so they're like well i don't want to have to go do this other thing too and all that stuff so but yeah i'm excited to hear it man for sure the 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 new stuff i think it will happen at some point so I'm, i'm excited to hear what music put to that stuff will sound like for sure so anything you want else to get word out to our listeners as far as I mean, my my entity is I call my you know my company that I do all this stuff with is called Lost Origin Productions. My website's lostorigins.com. You know, there's photos up there, audio, and, and, and you sell photos and I don't sell photos, but I mean, all the albums, all the music yeah. um, is available for awesome. purchase everywhere, and 
I'll be selling a book at some point yeah, in the near I, future. I, I, yeah, I was thinking about that too. That, that idea of uh, if you if cereal <laughs> if the war will stop, then you could go back and then probably some of the pictures you have of buildings intact won't be anymore, and what that would look like would be pretty interesting. I think. Yeah, I actually last year I actually did a, a an article for the Washington Post with that exact thing. It was like four photos of that I took, and then yeah. four photos of those places either destroyed or damaged. Oh, wow. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, well, thanks for, for being on the show, Jason. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yeah, we always great, like man. talking to people that with a you know, similar background as us, especially when they're older and wiser from an earlier era kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's funny is we're the exact same age. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're talking about touring with, you know, he's touring with all these bands and all this stuff, and I was, I mean... I, was, I mean, that's my, my, my point. Like, you started all this awesome music in high school or middle school and knew about all this stuff. I mean, literally, we, we didn't start Emory till I was 25. I mean, I, I made sure I graduated and had a degree in all this right. stuff. It's, it's crazy. Like, it's just, it's really interesting that, like, I mean, all the stuff that you had accomplished before my band even started, and we're the Dude, exact same age. What's really funny is all of my major bands were done by I was 24. That is wild, man. Yeah, I mean, we hadn't even gotten started yet. I mean, seriously, yeah, like, that's just that's, that's just crazy that you got so much done. So, anyway, well, thanks for joining us, man. It's been a great interview. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thank you so much, Jason Hamaker from Frodus and all kinds of good stuff. LostOrigins.com, check it out. Very interesting guest. I like that. I actually enjoyed that interview way more than I even thought I would because sometimes I get worried because I don't know that scene as much as you, Joey. But yeah. like, he was just. Uh, very forthcoming. I think it's so cool all the bands he got to tour with and yeah. play with. I mean, that's just like, I mean, imagine getting to play with Zayo in Pennsylvania at, at, oh, their, yeah. at their heyday. Like when everybody's like, holy crap, this band's awesome. They're local. They're awesome. You know, just, I mean, that's insane. You, about you as far as I could it, go. You turned into a junkie at that. When you were introduced to it, you couldn't get enough. Like you were borrowing CDs from me all the time. You would go to the record store and buy yeah. up a bunch of the old college days. Yeah, I, I really did care about music a lot. <laughs> I still do, but I mean, in college, I mean, I was in. You know, I I remember. I still remember you for some reason. I don't know why you did this. There was one time where you were like, "Hey, we're gonna go to Manifest, and any CD you want, I'll buy it for you." Did I say that? Yep. And uh, you took me up to Manifest because you had the car because my license was revoked. <laughs> And you, we went up there, and I bought Clarity because you had it, but I wanted it myself, so I bought Jimmy Eat World Clarity. I, 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 you know, went over. Uh, man, remember like going up there for sometimes like hours and looking oh, yeah. through the used the used. I was me. really OCD too because yeah. I was just like, if I don't look there every one, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss something that I would love to have. And to an extent, you're right. right. I mean, like I remember for sure certain times finding different music and just like being, wow, that's so crazy. Yeah. I have a a clarification, a retraction I want printed because the last week you were talking about college and you threw out a quick reference. I didn't have time to contest about the fact that uh, how I was ha didn't had some didn't graduate on time and had some classes that I had. That was to totally take. true. Okay, well let's in keeping with the spirit of the truth, let's add the truth onto that. Now I went to a different college than you, transferred to your college, and in four <laughs> years took all the classes I had, and yes, I did have a pottery class left to take. Meanwhile, you, Devin, and Joel all went to the same college, and we were all trying to graduate the same spring of 90, <laughs> what was it, spring of 2001, we were all trying to graduate. Now, here's the operative thing. Yes, I had one more class to go. However, I entered college four years later than Joel, three years later than you, and two years later than Devin, and we all finished within one 
class that I had to catch up on. So you made me sound this like the delinquent. Sad. This is just sad. Matt, let me, I'll, I'll handle this in one question. Did I graduate college before you? <laughs> no, you don't have any. <laughs> Enough yes, said. You don't have a, you don't have any room to talk of when you graduated, Toby. Yeah, I Joel, I was in Joel college. Graduated for quite... with the same degree as me from the same college and went twice as long. It, it is weird, like to go to college and then people come back for their reunions and you're still. <laughs> hey man, I remember you do. Yeah, I'm still here, man, partying and on. Hey, you probably had thing. it right though. I wish I'd have gone longer. It was probably as much fun as any other time I've had. Yeah, Joe, Joel and I both we loved college. I mean, I just didn't see a reason to get out, and I just really enjoyed my friends and everything. I mean, it was it was kind of a little bit weird though. Like there was one semester where my I didn't have financial aid, so I had to pay for my class by myself. And that's we've talked about that before, Matt. I think that was the semester where like I would come over to your house and you would give me some of your food because I didn't have enough money to eat. But I had to pay for the class myself. And I mean, the class was like $800,000. I don't know. I know it sounds crazy, but I could only afford one class. But that way, I was still in school and it didn't mess anything else up. So I took the one class. But I mean, that's basically all I did. And Joey, you, you and Ben, my roommates, would like go to real jobs and work. <laughs> I was, I was a and I would just sleep in. I would sleep in till my 1 p.m. class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I tell you why you wouldn't have <laughs> trade that, though, because there's nobody else. I mean, not nobody else, but most 24-year-olds aren't sitting there trying to come up with new chord shapes and invent new kind of music to make make like like we were making music we were making up stuff that we'd never heard everybody else was our age was had kids and was working in a factory and so we had the whole time of college to work on whatever i didn't do a lot of school work but i learned recording we came up with all kinds of stuff i don't think we'd had emory or anything close to it if it wouldn't have been for that delayed adolescence of college yeah i still feel that way I, I kind of feel like you say that, but I feel the same way. Like I'm, I feel like I'm always a little behind, which maybe is a good thing. Like I still feel kind of like a kid. I mean, I'm 38 years old, same same age as Jason, but I mean, I just I feel young. I don't feel like I'm. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's just a weird thing. Like I actually think part of us starting so late. Like we really. I mean, his bands were done when he was 24. We didn't start Emory really until I was 25 and graduated college. Oh. And I mean, we were slow, but I mean that kind of has prolonged life a little bit. And I think that's why. We're still able to make great music even now. I mean, we're we're still a band and able to tour and people like us and want to come to shows and even, you know, from that band we were able to do this podcast and a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, a lot of that stuff has been so awesome. And I mean, it's it's really neat to experience that and get to do that. Even I mean, we have a new album coming out now. I mean, it, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's crazy that literally I'm 38 and we are a brand new album is going to be coming out soon. Yeah, I just Matt, I listened to it the whole way through just recently. I was really shocked. Shot like you vomited what in your you mouth, <laughs> like you didn't like it. <laughs> no, just of how how good it. I, oh, you're shocked here's, it was here's, good. You thought it was going to be be, crappy? I, be honest. Though. Here's the thing. Don't, don't just like cater. We're, you know. We're no, not. I know. Here's the thing: is the song that y'all put on the lineup. It just didn't really get me. Oh, cool, nice. Thanks for the compliment. That sermon you preached last week was an absolute <laughs> crap. Yeah, by the thank, way. Yeah, thanks for not only screwing You Were Never Alone, but also the lineups, our first... <laughs> yeah, don't listen to any of that stuff. Great job, Joey. You ruined anyway, two records Anyway, keep on with once. your compliment. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. well, anyway, I just didn't go into the CD with much expectation. Why? Yeah. Cool. Because of <laughs> After that, all these years, you didn't have expectation of that being was good? That was a joke. That was a joke. That yeah. was a joke. 
Now, for for our listeners' sake, I mean, they, these guys have gotten nothing but the highest regard for me, and they even fault me for not being real. Like they think that I like Emory a lot because you guys are my friends. Where I really do think I would be huge in the Emory outside of that. But Toby, I think you said something to me. Yeah, Joey has a Silverstein tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> what, what other bands like Emory do you listen to on the reg? None. Okay, <laughs> that, that's it's a little bit of probably friendship there. I don't think you'd be a huge Emory fan if you we weren't like best buds. No, I, let me, I would say that's not right. I still listen to Further Scenes Forever. Their okay, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. So you, you th- love us. There, you love there, us. We respect hand, you highly. There's a handful of bands that have like carried over in Emory. You just don't get that quality of songwriting vocals and and all that stuff. And one, Do you still listen to other of our records sometimes. Yes. Like, yeah, that's cool. I actually have a best of Emory playlist on my iTunes. Wow. Yeah. Well, so that you like this new album though? Yeah, I do. And Toby said something along the lines of the uh, you said the melodies and the choruses were like some of your favorites. Yeah, I you've think ever these written. are the most like well written, catchy choruses. I mean, I really picked up written. on that. I mean, yeah. just listening to the it would be a chorus would hit, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is catchy as hell. So. I was delighted, to say the least, and all of our listeners, screw all of you, I get to listen before you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm, I am really excited about this record. Like, I, I feel like we kind of really pushed ourselves to do something that we really love. Like, I mean, it would be easy at this point to put out an Emory record that's just, oh yeah, man, that's great. Uh, there's some songs on there that I like and whatever. It's just a record, but I really do feel like this is a neat record. Like, uh, I mean, one of the songs, for example, is called Thrash. I believe it's the heaviest song that Emory has ever written. Is that, gonna, is that actually the final title? Yep, Matt kind of came up with that name, but well, I was the just original name because it, it sounded thrashy. I wasn't trying. I didn't know it was the real title. What the was the original name? Do you remember of that song? Yeah, no, I think it was just thrash. Oh, I'm thinking of Pink. Slip. I'm thinking, yeah, the original well, one of our songs working title was Chevy Truck, <laughs> but we changed it. We changed it to Pink Slip. But um, so thrash is. I, I'm thoroughly man. I think it's the heaviest Emory song, just as far as like raw. I mean, it's just heavy. I mean, the song is just. It's not. I mean, there's a little bit of melody, obviously, in it because it's Emory. But I mean, I'm like, whoa! When I listen to it, I'm like, golly, this thing's heavy. It also has probably the softest thing we've ever done in it as well. I mean, like, I think people are going to be shocked when they hear it. Honestly, I hope they love it. Um, but I think this is going to be a record where people just listen and listen and listen. It's not going to be a record you're immediately like. I think, like what you said, I think you're going to immediately catch up the the catchy stuff that's intentionally catchy or poppy. I think is really neat the way Matt and I put some things together uh so i think that's going to stand out immediately but there are so many uh to use christianese there's a lot of nuggets in here that you're going to yeah. take away and have to unpack and uh, <laughs> keep keep listening to so I, I am really excited i'm glad you like it i, I was wondering what you would think because i think never little... think i'm gonna like what the newest material like matt well, you, part of that's you, you, know you always how... tell me that you, you always say i'm never gonna like this matt you know how every tour every other show toby's about to quit every time he writes a new emory album it's the same thing I really don't think you're going to like this one, though, because just... That's just emotional sandbagging to low expectations, so, you know, you'll we'll say it. That's all. Speaking of y'all's age, I mean, y'all know Jay Mask is from Dinosaur Jr. is 49 years old and still putting out super, super good music, solo projects, and a Dinosaur Jr. album like two years ago. Um, so you're saying we can be around for... Another... Yeah, look at, look at pictures on him. He's got long white hair. I mean... What is he, a wizard? He looks like a wizard. It's pretty kick-ass... 
music writing wizard. I wonder if he jumps around on stage or anything like that. That's what we'll have to transition because I mean I have kind of a bad back and <laughs> bad knees. <laughs> have y'all heard the same? Have y'all heard? Someone told me that he's got like the biggest pedal board ever. Like he's like oh, known heard, for oh, all of the. Oh man, I heard. I've, I've I've seen it measured. It's like like twenty four inches. <laughs> this pedal board is huge. It's legendary in the in the kind of underground world. I mean. If you ever get a chance to see it, man, I would definitely take a look. Well, Matt, you know something else that Toby thinks is legendary? Mm, what? About the only thing that would benefit us right now if you're talking about a good album. And a huge pedal board. Is something that Toby finds it to be legendary. Before you do this, are there maybe any individuals that probably helped this come about? That love the truth? Yes. Yeah, Joey, do you have any, any, any individuals that love truth? And if so, can you name them? And not butcher their names? Yes. Yeah, folks that love truth that sponsor either voluntarily or involuntarily Toby's Damn News is Reese Bagwell, Joe Moore, <laughs> Andrew Holder, Lane Castleberry, Derek Overstreet, David Vanderbush, Matt Ramsey, Travis Thibodeau, Nicholas Tight. Ray Rodemaker. Nice, you killed it. Jason Samoose. <laughs> oh, you did it. <laughs> Stephen Mayer and Colin Kramer. Thank you Man. for being BC Clubbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for bringing us the news. Let's do it. What was the one? Vanderbush? Yeah. Nice. When you feel like you're going to throw up and you're sick to your stomach. When your best friend's a pastor and usually most Sundays he says something that's completely unbiblical and you don't know what to do and you're just searching. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Joey's going to want to edit that. This is the damn news with Toby. <laughs> Joey's very biblical. His theology is right. That was just a bad joke. This whole segment sucks. I'll tell you what sucks. Well, you, you know what really sucks is Matt, Matt becomes your bitch every time the news starts. Well, I agree with you there. <laughs> you said it. You added to my truth. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm Once just kidding. Matt is my happens, friend. Once the music you happens, turn on it's me. like Matt's damn hypnotized. No, when the music, you can't no, no, say no. anything wrong. You can't. Do Everybody wrong. is on board with Matt. Hey, Matt, I'm you. Happy. When the music comes on, you are the one that turns weird, man. You get weird. Joey, Matt, it's, it's called Matt, trying to make the show move forward, go along, and be entertaining. If you're against well, that, feel free. If you want to mask it by being Toby's news bitch, then go right ahead. <laughs> Toby, on with your news. Okay, very good. I don't need you to tell me on my news, Mister. I'll get on my news when I get on my news. <laughs> now on with the news. <laughs> Alex Nash, who's five years old, gets a $24 bill from friends' parents for missing a birthday party. Now, you guys have birthday parties. Joy, I heard you talking in the office. You're planning one for your little one yep. here soon. Yep. And you don't now you don't go all out. You don't do big extravagant parties, I right? I don't believe in those. Even for your oldest, like, is it just no matter what, it's like, hey, we're going to do cheap parties no matter how old they are. Now, I can understand it with the littlest because they won't remember anyway, but the older they get, do they, do they, you add more money to it? Yeah, probably so, but... A five-year-old boy in Plymouth... <laughs> a five-year-old boy in Plymouth, England, was given a $24 invoice for missing a friend's birthday party in an unusual dispute that appears to be heading to court. Alex Nash was supposed to attend the party at a local ski park in December where kids were treated to snow tubing, tobogganing, and lunch. However, Alex's parents said they realized at the last minute that he also had plans to see his grandparents that day. We asked Alex what he wanted to do, said Alex's dad, Derek Nash, and he chose to be with his grandparents. Oh, so I won't read cute. this whole thing, but basically what ends up happening is that 
Alex goes to school, and when he comes back home, there is an invoice for $24 for not showing up to the uh, party that the other kid's mom gave to him. So, he so the dad was money, p- for real. Yeah, the dad was pissed off, and he actually went to her house, and they kind of argued a little bit, and she's mad and said she was going to try and sue him, but it looks like that's not possible since there's no contract or anything Dang. with that. There's no, he didn't do anything fraudulent legally. So do y'all think that she has any ground to stand on? Like, Well, first of all, dumbass news story. And second of all, I would say um, that it's probably rude not to show up or and not to RSVP beforehand. But I, I, it just doesn't make any sense to send a bill. That's even more of an asshole move. Yeah, it seems like you just write a, a letter like, hey, man, we're really disappointed we did spend money. And right. that kind of sucks. So Right. There wasn't any sort of agreement signed. You can't make them pay is, that. Is RSVP which... not a, you know, like agreement or verbal contract or anything like that, you wouldn't say? I don't think it's a contract. Probably I, I mean, legally wouldn't hold up. Like maybe if they like you're saying like if they actually signed up online or something like that and said yes we will be there blah 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 blah. Uh, guys, uh, this one kind of hits me a little bit in a soft spot, and I'm wondering could would you guys mind taking my confession here? Sure, sure, buddy. Because uh, uh, now that you bring this up, speaking of RSVP, I did a pretty bad no no in the RSVP department. Uh, I RSVP to a wedding and then I missed it. So. I'm gonna just confess. Yeah, I'm gonna confess right here. Was on. it a verbal RSVP or did you sign up, sign something? Well, okay. So first of all, if you're doing RSVP and you want to know who's coming to your wedding, please, please handle it with the wives, or at least with my wife, not with me. So I was supposed to. We were supposed to go to a wedding. Wanted to go, planning on going, and I first of all I didn't RSVP, which is bad. And then the person had to text me and said, "Hey man, are you coming to my wedding?" And so that's already bad. And then when I got that text, I was like, "Oh crap, I forgot to RSVP." And I told the guy, I "said Yes, definitely." I'm there. Oh, definitely. Because I really, I was expi- excited about going. And, I, and, you know, anyway, I totally, 100% forgot. I didn't even tell my wife about it. And I missed, I just missed it. I just totally forgot. I saw pictures online and went, oh, crap. I, that wedding was last weekend. And um, it was two weeks ago. Last week, yeah, two weeks ago. And it was Andrew from King's Kaleidoscope, their drummer, Andrew, that's been oh, on tour with us. Dang it. So, he, you know. So, let me just say, Andrew... I don't know if you're listening to the show. I hope you're on your honeymoon having a good time. I hope I didn't ruin your wedding. But I genuinely am really, really, really sorry. I did want to go to your wedding. Uh, please feel free to send me an invoice for whatever. For the amount. entire wedding. For, no, no, not for the entire wedding, but for mine and my wife's Well, portion. if you ruin the entire wedding, what if you ruin the entire wedding? Well, what if by you not being there, like he really was counting on you. If you were really counting on me, we'll negotiate that. But I really am sorry. Feel free to send me an invoice. Congratulations, buddy. I miss you. Uh, I wish you the best. I don't. Is there something I should do? I haven't texted him because they didn't want to disturb him on his honeymoon, so I'm not sure what I should do. So well, I mean, you already got it? the wedding gift, right, that you were going to give him because you were planning on the, going, so you already got that, right? Well, I mean, I, he did, <laughs> I don't know when he gets back from his honeymoon, but maybe I can run to Target tonight. <laughs> they got spatulas, I think. Can I- <laughs> Get him a book about how to deal with people <laughs> letting you down. I really am sorry, Matt, I, Matt. Because because I know you fairly well, I know that you're being serious and sincere. But I find it hard to believe that a lot of our listeners think that what you're saying right now is genuine. 
just because of how you view the world, how you view people, and how you should do things. People are having a hard time. Well, no, but that, I don't think they should because I am a sincere person. I tr- what I'm saying is I don't say or engage in the kind of stuff that would be insincere. I mean, I really do feel bad about that. I made a commitment to something and I failed. If I, that's why I don't say general nice things that sound normal because that's not usually sincere, and I don't think it would come across as sincere. But I hope what I just said was because it really is. I really am sorry. So you know. I don't know what else I can do. Yeah, I'm just going to say what Joey's thinking. You shan't have got put it on your calendar. That's why you have to have calendars. If you don't have calendars, then you get into trouble like this. I'm, I'm glad you know exactly what I'm saying. All thinking. right, both of y'all trying to hijack my news. I got one last story here, and I love it. Large bird attacks Oregon jogger. Al is blamed for strikes. Who's Al? This comes from the AP. Oh. <laughs> O-W-L, dude. That's how you say it. owl. (laughs) Okay. That is how I say it. Owl. I mean, it's an owl. Yeah, owl. Big owl. An owl. An Oregon... Oregon, How do y'all say it? Y'all don't say owl. It's exactly like owls drive in on happy days. I say owl. (laughs) You say owl? It's Arnold's drive in. It's an owl that worked at Arnold's. How do you say the word O-W-O-I-L? Oil. 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 Oh, <laughs> that's how you say it. It's owl. oil. I say it's an owl. It's oil. There's some oil say, on the foot ground, and look at that owl flying say, over. Say ten f o i l. Ten f i o l. Oh, tenfold. 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 Yeah, tenfold for sure. An wow, Oregon you jogger. Really are a dumbass. An Oregon jogger thought someone knocked him in the head, or he got hit by lightning, or may have suffered a stroke when he felt a big blow to the head last week as he was jogging in Bush's Pasture Park. When the fifty-eight, this is a fifty-eight-year-old man, my God, Ron Jakes of Salem was struck a second time. He saw a large-winged animal he thought was a massive bat. <laughs> People have bad have bad attitudes towards bats. I mean, every time you see something swoop down, everybody goes, that's a bat. Look at that bat swooping around there. Willamette University biology professor David Craig told the Statesman Journal the attacker was likely an owl. Great horned owls are nesting in January and are known to attack anything they think threatens their nest. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> you guys ever been attacked by a bird before? Um, Well, you know, I've, unless you count being shit on. <laughs> Have you ever been pooped on by a yeah, bird? Yeah, definitely. Matt, I just want to let you know that I actually, through the week, will see more serious stories that I think would actually be able to develop into a real intellectual conversation. I send them to Toby, and he just ignores them. Like, for example, I sent him a story of a pastor who was about to do a funeral and canceled it 20 minutes beforehand because there was a picture of PDA between the girl that died, who was a lesbian, and her lesbian partner. He saw the picture and was just like, oh, I'm not doing the funeral. I'm out of here. Huge outcry. A pastor not doing a funeral because of someone's sexual orientation, and you didn't even use that. Yeah. First of all, you think the news should all resolve around past, revolve around pastor stuff, huh? No. Every, everyone he sends me, Matt, it's about a pastor. <laughs> That's not true. Hey, look at, this, look at this pastor, man. He robbed a liquor store. Oh, man, Toby, check out this new segment. This pastor went bungee jumping <laughs> and, and <laughs> in Brazil, and it was really crazy. Oh, man, Toby, check out this pastor when he's talking to gay people. I'm sorry that I read Huffy, <laughs> Huffing, HuffingPastor.org. Can't I just do my news the way I want to do it? Yeah, you can suck at it and do it. Yeah. It's not called News with Joey, and there's a reason why. It would be called Pastor News with Joey, and that's boring. My stories are great. I'm trying to ask y'all if I've ever been attacked by a bird. <laughs> On a side note, uh, a pastor in South Carolina has been found 
kicking owls in the head that would just happen to be flying by. <laughs> There's a there's a damn owl. I'm gonna kick that son of a bitch. <laughs> son, get behind me. There's an owl. Oh my, there's a pigeon. William, get behind me. I said, there's a pigeon. <laughs> Waylon, it's a crow. Oh my god, it's a crow. It's an off leash. Kick bird. that thing in the skull. 